Hello everyone, welcome to episode 31 of the Switch Focus podcast. I'm your host Andy Corrigan and with me today is Andrew Brown. Uh, we are unfortunately Ginny-less today, uh, hopefully not rudderless, but she had uh, to cut short her vacation from America short for a, a work thing, so uh, hopefully we'll be able to splice in some of her thoughts on the featured game we're going to talk about later. Um, but how are you, Andrew? How have you been this week? Oh, well enough. How have you been? I've been alright. Uh, just busy, busy, busy. Stressing about freelance stuff uh, and checking out Donkey Kong Tropical Freeze. Mm. You got anything from previous episode? Not I, but I happen to know that Ginny finished Lost Sphere this past week, so let's check in with her for her updates on that game. Hey, so um, just in terms of an update on what we were getting up to this week, um, you've probably just heard from the guys about what they've been getting up to, but I finally finished Lost Sphere after what felt like months and and months of putting it off and or suffering. Um, if you think about a couple of episodes where I sort of had reached the, the sort of fake out ending that Andy was frustrated with, um, and the game sort of brings you back to an earlier point and goes, hey, well, actually, there's a whole lot more to do. Obviously, mad spoilers for Lost Fear at this point. I'll try to be as vague as possible, but I just kind of felt so unengaged by the end. It felt a lot like a just a series of boss fights, really. And it was like kind of like a boss rush game at a certain point towards the end. And I just kept thinking to myself, like, when is this going to end? How many more am I going to have to kill? And then sort of towards the end, the second to last boss was kind of underwhelming compared to the, I guess, the mid bosses I'd fought before that. So I don't know if it was like a a design thing or I was burnt out because I'd spent so long just forcing myself to get through it. Like, admittedly, I can see how that could have affected how I feel about the game overall. Um, that I kind of approached finishing it as like a thing that I had to do and not something that I maybe was particularly enthused about doing. But I got to the end, finally, and I was just not particularly blown away. I mean, I think Andy mentioned some sort of emotional payoff at the end, which sort of tries to make everything that you just grinded for worth it. But I didn't feel it. I think I was just so fatigued once I got to the point that the ending, while it was sad, if I'm not wrong, there's two particular endings. Um, I obviously got the trash one um, <laughs> because the power of friendship wasn't quite enough to get my party through everything. It just seemed very bleak. Um, just the whole sort of last segment where you've got the consecutive boss fights and then the end, which apparently if you make all the bad decisions like I did, is the one that you get. Um, I just am proud that I finished it. I really have to admit that I much enjoyed the first 35 hours that was probably my favorite part of the game when everything was building up and learning how to use the Velcro suits effectively and actually feeling very invested in what I thought had a and what I thought was the storyline with lots of momentum the first 35 hours perfect you know I really loved it I could exactly see how it would have been like a successor to I Am Setsuna even though it feels like they were overcompensating by in- including things that people were criticizing I Am Setsuna for not having and sort of maybe perhaps doing that to the to too much of an extent but as previously discussed um i gave it a good go um finally finished it can't say i'm sad to see the back end of it um and if anything honestly it just makes me want to replay i am setsuna so if you're someone that wants to play a tokyo rpg factory jrpg and you're on the fence about which one to get if the price point alone wasn't a consideration for you i highly recommend i am setsuna it just felt so much more rewarding to play. While Lost Fear is not a bad game, I know I've been very negative about it. It's not a bad game at all. It's still a good game. I think I had just worn myself out by the time I finished it. It's a good game, but it's not a great game, in my opinion. So I am still, as I predicted, Team I Am Setsuna. Um, but Lost Fear, you were a worthy adversary. As much as I wish you'd ended maybe 50 hours in, <laughs> um, I still can't say that I entirely regret the time they spent with the game. Thanks, Ginny. Now let's cut over to our regular Switch news update. Another slow news week this week for Switch, but we have news that the Pro Controller has been added to Steam. It's still in beta at the moment, uh, but there's some interesting 
things I noticed on on Twitter. The Pro Controller has a LED light behind the home button that Nintendo have not used. Apparently that's also present on the Joy-Cons, which is weird. So some little features there that we we didn't know about, but uh, it's good that we get to use the world's best gaming controller on PC games now, I think. If I were to ever have the desire to play a PC game, yeah, I suppose that would be a good thing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm in the same boat. I uh, just don't like playing PC games. When I do want to play a PC game, it's going to be one that you want to play with the mouse and keyboard. So, (laughs) yeah, and I just, I just don't have a PC powerful enough to run anything that I'd want to play on it. So I just stick to consoles. Mm -hmm. Uh, And of course, you don't get awesome Nintendo games on PC without some sort of emulator, but. Time to talk about what we played in this week. Uh, now, Ginny's not here. She played a game called Jotun. Uh, luckily, we're, she was able to record some thoughts on that for us, which we're going to splice in now. So this week, before we hop into the game that we all played, which I know was Donkey Kong Country Tropical Freeze, which I thought was the name with a really, really long subtitle, um, I played Jotun. Um, and I think I mentioned wanting to play this game a couple weeks ago, and it was just Andrew and myself on the podcast, and it's Jotun Valhalla edition. So as the name suggests, it is basically a, a Nordic legend. Uh, you play, I guess, in a game that's steeped in Nordic mythology, and the whole point of the game, though, is that you basically die in a very unhonorable way, so you unglamorously drown um, during a maiden voyage. And because in Norse mythology, you only get to go to Valhalla, which is like shield maiden slash shield bro heaven, you can only go there if you fall in battle. So obviously dying to death, super unglamorous, not very heroic. So in order to actually get into Valhalla, you need to earn your way there by killing the titans of Norse mythology. Again, not quite sure why they were just like, hey, yo check that drowned here's your chance um but you know i'm running with it i don't hate it and the art style is great so if you cast your mind back i guess to kind of like old folklore if you ever listen to like old cultural tales like old eastern folklore old asian chinese folklore for example the game looks and plays very much like a children's story i think everything from the scale of the enemies to the kind of things that you encounter to the very art style as well it's got a sort of very painted style it kind of reminds me a bit of the banner saga in terms of how stark it is but also the sheer scale of everything compared to your character does lend a sort of i suppose childlike feel to everything you kind of almost feel like you're too small for this world but you're sort of bravely powering through and bravely fighting on in terms of themes anyway if you've watched infinity wars or the avengers movie recently you'll remember characters like Thor and Loki, and if you play God of War, you'll definitely remember Thor and Loki, and Odin and Freya and stuff like that, and Frigg. So basically, there are shrines to the gods in each stage of the levels that they have in this game, and by praying at the shrines, you get new powers. In terms of what the gameplay is like, it's a lot of dodge rolling. So much dodge rolling. It kind of feels like a dungeon layout, So if you played Path of Exile, you basically go out in these very linearly structured levels whereby you have to do things like sort of stand in certain circles to activate certain shrines. So there's kind of like a light puzzle element to it as well as exploring. Basically, if you've played any sort of like dungeon crawling game where you go from one end to the other, you get to the boss fight, kill the boss, rinse and repeat in a new sort of environment that's been reskinned. That's the gist of what levels here are like. That sounds a little bit generic and it sounds a little bit unimpressive, but that's not a, a bad thing. Um, this is definitely the indie game. It's a very well-designed indie game. And as I said before, they're very good about keeping the scale of things mysterious in the sense that like you're always going to feel like you're just about to be scraped off the floor by one of these guys once they're done with you. And I really respect that. They're sort of going all, all out in terms of the Norse mythology and they've not been afraid to make things ugly. Like, for example, the bosses are like, you know, sexy warrior maiden <laughs> or like, you know, sexy dwarf king. Like some of the bosses are incredibly huge, incredibly grotesque in their own way as well, but also in the exaggerated style that you think you would encounter in a children's book. Aesthetically, it's a game I'm super into, but 
the only problem that I have with it is mechanically it just feels lackluster. I don't mean that the game's mechanics are not good. I mean, in terms of playing the game itself, you just kind of feel like you can cheese a lot of the boss fights. For example, I think the first boss looked super terrifying. I thought she was going to, you know, scrape me off the ground afterwards, like a giant sort of tree slash woman slash brood mother. But I could just find a spot next to one of her arms that was a weak spot for her where I just stand still and just beat her up and just dodge roll once in a while and that was it. And it was just the way that you can solve lots of these commanding bosses is just finding a weak spot and just dodge rolling to exploit it. So what looks so great design-wise and might feel so great in terms of exploring the world and whatnot, I think this scale ultimately of the monsters is really aesthetic and not mechanical. You don't feel like there's a, like a technical requirement for you to actually quote unquote get good at the game to beat it. It's just everything looks very impressive but when you're playing it sometimes the rolling feels clunky, sometimes there are some air of effect um, indicators on the map which kind of seem either too big or too small depending on where your positioning is like you're affected by status effects that you thought you were maybe well clear of or not affected by ones that you were like on top of so it really is quite different I mean even while there's great variety in bus design and whatnot and great variety in the environments which I think they've done a good job at sort of keeping as not just simple reskins I think that the game feels like a game that had a lot more potential that was potentially unexplored in terms of stuff like boss design, just how difficult the game wasn't. And also the fact that there are loading screens pretty much all the time. Every time you go into a new area or you respawn after a death, sometimes the cutscenes, sometimes save points are few and far between so you could clear out a whole area, do some sort of strange flower related puzzle in the middle and then have lost half an hour of progress because you went close to a safe spot. There's just a lot about the game which is good but also all these small niggling things that that come up to the forefront much more than you'd expect. Ultimately I enjoyed it. It is quite a short game. You probably won't spend more than 10 hours at trying to finish all of it because there aren't that many bosses to kill first of all. But I was very charmed by the aesthetic, very charmed by being the player character, very charmed by how great everything looks, so all in all I still enjoyed my time with it, but I just wish it had been a little bit more taxing. It would have been a really, really great story, or an even better story if it had been just a little bit more difficult. Okay, so the big release this week, of course, was Donkey Kong Country Tropical Freeze. This is a port of the Wii U game. Uh, now, last couple of episodes I've been saying that uh, I've played this and, and really enjoyed it, but it turns out I've never actually played it. I own it on Wii U, but never actually got to it. What I was thinking of was Donkey Kong Country Returns, which I played heavily on 3DS, and that's where a lot of my memories came from. Yeah, so some of this surprised me then, because in my head it was all going to be like snow levels because of the tropical freeze and the, the intro mm-hmm. sort of hints at that but yeah there's i've hit none of that yet i I think that's going to be more of a an end game thing and i think that memory lapse has sort of played a part in my memory of the difficulty because i remember donkey kong country returns being pretty difficult especially when it came to the bosses Uh, but i haven't sort of hit that yet but i am still very early in the game so that might change now, you've got a uh, Switch versus Wii U issues here. What was that about? Well, there are differences between the two versions, mainly the uh, new funky mode, which is fine. Yep. Uh, we would expect that for an update or a port to there be at least something new besides just a resolution update. But then there is the issue of the price. When Tropical Freeze first launched, it was $50. MSRP, uh, USD. Uh, This one on the Switch is selling for $60. It get worse because actually Tropical Freeze was a player's choice title, so it was actually down to $20 retail uh, (laughs) for a brand new copy. Uh, And wouldn't you know it, if you go on the Wii U eShop, that version has disappeared. So if you want to buy a copy of Tropical Freeze for $20 on the Wii U, you have to buy a physical version. And they're probably going to sell out on those pretty quick. Probably by the time you're listening to this episode, they're going to be sold out. 
So basically, Nintendo has completely ghosted the Wii U version of this game, so that way if you want to play it, you have to pay $60 for the Switch version, even though it's essentially the same game. And I don't think that's cool. I know a lot of other people don't think that's cool, but that's just the way it's happening, and we have to sit here and take it because Nintendo has complete control over this market. It's their eShop. And I've said in the past, I don't like digital storefronts. This is a very good example of why. Yeah, I'm with you on that because, yeah, that's the, it's like bullying you into buying the the latest version. And I don't think uh, Diddy playing a Switch instead of a 3DS is kind of <laughs> worthy of the upgrade. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Because it is, it is largely unchanged from what I understand. Um, of course, we have the new funky mode. Uh, which is the sort of replacement for the, what do they call it, the Super Guide? Yeah, Super Guide, uh, Yoshi's Woolly World had a a thing they called Mellow Mode, which puts you into, like, super winged Yoshi all the time, everywhere in the level. It's not a new idea, Nintendo's been doing this since the Wii, but this is the latest iteration of it, uh, is New Funky Mode. Yep, so he's uh, pretty much invincible, is my understanding, I've not used him yet. So uh, you've gone with the the classic mode, haven't you? Yeah, I'm playing on classic. Yeah, so basically for for listeners, you get a choice between the new funky mode and classic. Classic is the Wii U version as is with all the challenge. The new funky mode is what I've been playing on. It gives you optional advantages, so you can play as uh, Funky Kong if you want, who gets like the benefits of his surfboard to avoid spikes. Uh, he's practically invincible. Um, but you can still choose to play as Donkey Kong and the others just to still have that element of challenge and then only resort to Funky Kong when you need to. Um, there are some other quality of life bonuses from playing on new Funky Mode. So, of course, in every Donkey Kong Country game, you have to collect the letters that spell the word Kong. Uh, these are saved for you in new Funky Mode. So I believe in Classic, you have to get them all in one run. Is yeah, that you right? do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, puzzle pieces are saved, but uh, the Kong icons you have to get everyone in a single playthrough. Uh, okay, yeah. So I'm I'm pretty pleased I went for that option to be honest, because then then I feel I'm more likely to go back to old levels for completion. I'm mm. probably not going to. I'll be honest. I I lie to myself every single time. I'm really enjoying it. Otherwise, um, I'm gonna pick up on something you said a couple of weeks back about how the Switch is making you realize how much you you love platform games. Yeah, uh, and I, th- yeah, I, I'm finding that too. Like started with Mario, and now Celeste, and now this. Uh, even Kirby, obviously my first go of the Kirby game. Shovel Knight. Yes, which I rage deleted at some point. But I, oh, what? Yeah, oh. there was there was just one level which was really grinding me, and I just uh, had to delete it. But I probably will go back to it. I kind of want to. Um, if only because DuckTales is one of my favourite platformers ever and it is pretty much DuckTales um, talking of DuckTales the companions in Tropical Freeze so there's a couple there's Diddy Kong uh, what's the girl called? Is it Daisy Dixie Kong? Kong Dixie Kong okay, yeah that's it uh, and you get Cranky Kong who basically turns Donkey Kong into Scrooge McDuck mm-hmm. with a, a bounce downwards the problem I'm finding with the companions is that I get too used to having them. Yes. So I, when I lose Diddy, I, I'm still trying to use his floating technique to get across platforms as a safety net and then failing miserably. Yeah, I've run into that too. Uh, a lot of the people talk about how hard this game is. I think its difficulty has been overstated, although this is certainly not an easy platformer. But I found most of the difficulty came from whether or not I had a companion at the time. And really, of the three companions, the only one I've really found to be of any use is Dixie. Because her uh, helicoptery pigtail thing gets her a lot of extra hang time and gets her a lot of extra height. So of the three, she's the only one I really bother using. But when I don't have her... This game gets a lot harder because Donkey Kong does not get much hang time and he doesn't have a lot of control over his jump. So if you don't nail your jump, and there are a lot of jumps that you have to make in this game, you are going to die. So I would say that's where the difficulty comes from in this. And I would even 
question why they have the companion system in the game as it is, where you come across a barrel and you wait for the companion's icon you want to come up and then you smash it. Just have it the start of the map. Just pick the companion you want and then you can just keep it all through the entire map. I wouldn't be enjoying this game so much more and I'm actually I'm enjoying this game just fine. But I would enjoy it even more if I didn't have to deal with this barrel nonsense. Yeah, and I think if if they let you do that, you could sort of tailor your run towards certain elements as well. Mm-hmm. Like that'd mm-hmm. be a, a cool take on that. Yeah, I think I'm in agreement about the difficulty. I think it has been overstated. Um, I commented on it last week, but I think that was more to do with my uh, misremembering. The level design is really cool, uh, really expansive, and it kind of reminds me of Rayman Legends in a lot of Absolutely. ways. Absolutely. Uh, in regards especially to how secrets are hidden and how hidden challenge rooms are laid out in the level. Mm-hmm. Um, in comparison, Kirby, which I liked, missed that massively. Uh, I kept on trying to, you know, like second guess every area of the map and end up disappointed, whereas I feel a lot more rewarded in Donkey Kong for, for trying things. Mm-hmm. Uh, my one real complaint is the trigger to grab thing. I just haven't gotten used, used to that yet. Now, I know you can change it to face button, but I think I'm still going to have the same problem because my problem is having years and years of Mario's shell grab hammered yeah. into me. This is handled very differently, so if there are turtles that you can flip upside down to grab the shell and throw, and I'm just running into them with the trigger held, thinking he's just going to grab them, where you actually have to have a you have to actually have to stand there and press it as a like a confirmed grab. It's not like a fluid motion, mm-hmm. uh, and I keep forgetting that I have to actually hold it to keep hold of it and <laughs> just flinging it immediately. I was thinking the exact same thing today. I uh, I sat down at about 11 a.m. this morning and started playing it, and I actually beat the whole game. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> I just I sat there and just blew through it in about seven hours, uh, and like right from the start, I was thinking, this reminds me a lot of Rayman, which, uh, if we'll remember, I had just played through just last week, not on purpose. Uh, that was just kind of how it happened, and the way you can open up little hidden areas on the maps and they're hidden behind scenery but when you enter them they get revealed it works exactly like it does in rayman and when you finish a map you can go and replay it on a time trial option exactly like rayman i I haven't played donkey kong country returns and i don't know its timeline i know it was a wii game and i think it came out in like 2009 or something like that maybe later but I really think that the Rayman and the Donkey Kong Country games were kind of playing off of each other with these aspects. And as as to what you said about the controls, I agree with that, with the grabbing controls and really just the jumping and the running controls, because I, I was thinking at this more like the classic Donkey Kong Country games on the Super NES. Have you played those? Uh, yes, I've got three of them sat on my shelf behind me. yeah. Because those had a pretty standard uh, running system where you would press down a button and that would make your character roll forward and then they would start running. And I got very used to that. And even today, when I'm looking at this game, I'm thinking that's what I have to do. I have to press a button and I have to roll forward and control that roll and then I can run everywhere. Donkey Kong Country Tropical Freeze doesn't work that way. It doesn't have a regular running option. And even after playing Rayman Legends, which had just you hold down a button and you run, I really struggled with that in Tropical Freeze because there is a rolling move that you can do. And if you have a companion, you can do it continuously. But there's really no run option. And Donkey Kong is not the most agile character in this game. He skitters a lot if you try to turn, and he has kind of a slow startup unless you roll, and if you roll, you don't have a lot of control over where you're stopping. So that was the thing that I really struggled at the most with playing this game, was this is a platformer, and controlling your character is really important. And I actually had a lot of difficulty controlling my character, which is goes back to what I said about how I felt the game got a lot harder when I didn't have a companion. Because without 
Diddy Kong's jetpack or without Dixie Kong's uh, helicopter jump attack thing, I could not control this character to the degree that the levels often required me to, and I found it very frustrating. It's like a it's like a an un Nintendo type precision precision mm-hmm. really, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it, it works. It does work. I don't want to say it doesn't work. It's just it's so different from any other platformer that you've played. I think you're going to have a hard time adjusting. And I tried to go back and play the time trial levels. The best I can do is a silver. I'm still 15 seconds off from getting a gold rating on the first level. I, I think this game just might be beyond me as far as playing it on that level which is very disconcerting for me. I don't have these problems with platformers. And there's the the other element that I had where um, if I had accidentally slightly brushed on the analog stick to move forward and then pressed like the the drum button, mm-hmm. he would just roll off roll off the yeah. platform. Yeah, that's that's another thing is they have so many button options on the controller. They basically have two different commands and whether you do the ground pound or you do the ro- the rolling attack depends upon whether your character's moving or not. When you have four face buttons, utilize them. Uh, I, I think this is because it's based off of Donkey Kong Country Returns, which was a Wii game when the Wii had far fewer buttons to work with. But this is a Wii U game and now a Switch game. Utilize the real estate you have. Yeah, I wonder if they, they'd patch that in or anything later. I doubt that they will. <laughs> yeah. The other thing that I was going to ask is, what's the deal with the checkpoint pig? Uh, Peppa Pig? I have no idea. Uh, that might be something... I, I don't know. <laughs> There's a pig at all the checkpoints. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> and then the other thing that threw me was I watched the intro, which showed the uh, the ice viking people coming in mm-hmm. and um you know they like sprinkled snow and ice all over the the island and then for no reason at all level one starts with donkey kong falling out of a plane like that never happened in the intro i don't know why why it started like that um god i just played oh, it this afternoon <laughs> i mean obviously you're not playing this game for for its uh story or continuity but yeah <laughs> it just, i think just threw i threw me a little I think he got thrown out or something, and he wasn't, I don't know. He got thrown off of DK Island, which is what gets covered in ice, and you have to work your way through all these other islands, which don't have ice on them. So even though this game is called Tropical Freeze, don't think this is Donkey Kong. Every level is an ice level, because it's not. Uh, <laughs> but Yeah, that's. I, I probably missed that part then. I have no idea how that got put together. It doesn't matter. <laughs> this game is this game is not that concerned with its own continuity. Um, and uh, here's my my hot take: the story is basically the same as The Witcher Three. How do you work that out? You know the ice monsters coming to take over. It's also a Game of Thrones as well. You know the Wild Hunt come along, freezing everything. That whole correlation. That's a pretty broad interpretation of the story of Wild Hunt. <laughs> it's tenuous, there's some, I, there's some it. ice monsters, whatever. <laughs> uh, as it's come out on Friday and I've had not that much time to, to play it, I'm sort of towards the end of the first world. Uh, you said you'd finished it. Um, so the bosses, they were the hardest thing about Donkey Kong Country Returns. Uh, how did you find them in this game? Well, keeping in mind I've played through this game already on Wii U, uh, so I I didn't really remember any of these bosses, but I, I had some kind of sense memory of them. It, it wasn't until the last couple bosses that I actually died at all on them. I didn't think they were that hard, but they are very different from how nintendo's other bosses especially their platformers work where you were just trying to score three hits and each hit gets successively harder all the bosses in this game actually go through three phases and each phase has three hits in it so it's kind of expanding on that idea you really have to know the patterns and you have to have the bosses down to get through them but they are very long they're much longer than people are really expecting from a game like this these days, I think. But they're also very generous about dropping hearts. So just so long as you're putting in the work 
and you're learning the boss, you might die a few times, but it's not an absolute grind, and I don't think it's a completely unfair system, because it asks a lot of you, but it gives a lot back. Cool. I saw you posted a picture of the one of the blackout levels. What did you think of those? Oh, they were really cool. Yeah, yeah. I love that visual style. It took, really took me by surprise, because I wasn't expecting it. Uh, mm. And yeah, just the way how all those elements play into it, enhance it, like the the enemies in those levels and how the secrets are hidden was just like pure genius. Yeah, and just like Donkey Kong's tie is the only thing you can see on him, otherwise his silhouette and yeah. Dixie Kong's hat and I think Cranky Kong's beard is all you see. It's a really cool visual style. Uh, and, yeah, just uh, really stark contrast. And it, it almost looked like a Game Boy game. Yeah. Like a, well, <laughs> high-definition Game Boy game. Yeah, like, yeah. like a high-def version of the, the green uh, tones, which was really, really cool. Mm-hmm. And you must have played at least one minecart level. What did you think of the minecart level? Good. <laughs> Same yeah. as they always were. They're, they're probably, like, the most frustrating part of oh. the Donkey Kong experience. They're really fun once you learn them. They're they're a fun level to show off with, but yeah. they are they are very trial and error where you can't really react to what's coming up. You have to know what's coming up and already have acted in advance of it. So, but there's a a minecart level of sorts in every world. So that's pretty cool, but uh, actually later on they turn into rocket ship levels and they're not as good if you ask me, but the <laughs> minecart levels okay. The minecart levels, I would be perfectly happy to play an entire game that's nothing but minecart levels. It's a bit like the Rayman music levels. Yeah. Like in terms uh, of how you have to react, but it just doesn't have that, that music backtrack, uh, yeah, background. It's, it, yeah, it's not as... Oh, I don't even know the word I want to describe, though. It's just how reflexive it is. Because like, the music levels, if you can follow the beat to a song, you can get through those no problem. That's why they're so much fun. But like the minecart levels, it can feel pretty chaotic. Yeah, that's true. With the Rayman music levels, you just you're hitting the jumps without even realizing it. Sometimes just because you're in in the rhythm of the music. But similar sort of principle. You sort of on the run, mm-hmm. and you have you have to just time those things with great precision. And yeah, uh, but yeah, enjoying it so far. So. Now that we've heard from the guys when it comes to Donkey Kong Country Tropical Freeze, as I confessed before to Andrew and Andy, I've never played this game. I might just be the infant of the podcast, but I have never, ever played this game. I have no idea how it was received previously, never played it on the Wii U. I know that it's eye-wateringly expensive compared to what it is in the Wii U, but my knowledge of this game is basically at a big fat zero. I've played Donkey Kong games before, but definitely not this one. And I've heard that it was monstrously hard, so I was actually pleasantly surprised when it wasn't. I mean, not to say the game's not difficult at all, but I was, I was expecting like a Cuphead type difficulty the way people were hyping it up, like, you know really difficult platformer like you know this is definitely not a game for kids and i mean there was all the uproar about funky mode that people got annoyed at which i thought was nonsensical i've played as classic and funky mode as i'm sure the guys have as well um in classic the main difference that i found was the companions actually made me want to play as classic mode like i hit some points in the later levels where i had struggled a lot just to clear some of the sequences but I never wanted to really go back to just being funky because having the companions there seemed like so much more fun but that's getting sort of down to the technical stuff I guess overall my experience with the game um, having plowed through plenty of hours of it because I was stuck in an aeroplane great no I love it Um, despite having no previous knowledge of what the game was going to be like and sort of wondering at the the queerness, I guess, of having penguins next to apes, next to fish, next to seals, next to flies in a tropical rainforest. Look, I mean, <laughs> in terms of what narrative there is, unimportant to me. Um, it's just like a fun, funky platformer. I will have a note that when I was playing on the aircraft, just sort of resting my hands on the tray table in front of me, the rumble was incredibly strong. I was wearing like a ring and a bracelet. And so every time you sort of like pulse it out the ground or you pound something, 
the switch would obviously shake a little bit my hands my jaw would shake against the table and the guy next to me after at one point was like listen I'm trying to sleep can you not do this and like it was just surprising to me actually at how loud the rumble was I think I've talked about how rumble is used in other games previously and there are definitely gradients to the rumble that's being used here so the same strength for every single interaction that triggers a rumble but it is a very strong rumble so if you are playing this with someone in the same room or something or someone who might be sensitive to noises like that, just kind of watch out about that. It was pretty loud and handheld. I imagine it's probably much worse when it's just the Joy-Cons or even, I guess, the Pro Controller. So just bear that in mind. But um, apart from my aeroplane woes, I really enjoyed it um, as a game, as I just mentioned before. I thought the platforming puzzles were a lot about repetition, which I respect and enjoy i think the old rayman games that i played on the ds or sorry the gba were very much like that about remembering different paths different places to jump to if you wanted to kind of complete it and get all the objectives and pickups for example i found it really actually very quite hard to get things like the kong letters and the puzzle pieces originally so what i do what i found myself doing was i sort of play through once normally finish a stage go through as funky and sort of like use the double jump abilities and his increased mobility to scout out where those extra items might be. Sort of take, take a couple more chances and be a little bit more risky. Then I go back with my regular classic mode and just kind of blitz through it and try and get all the collectibles that I could. I'm still failing on the puzzle piece front, doing much better on the Kong letters front. Ultimately, I'm not feeling, I'm not feeling at all, I guess, fatigued from having to play essentially what is each stage three times. Um, I sort of take it as a learning experience in terms of what I should and shouldn't be doing in each particular stage and finding sort of optimal ways that the fastest path through the level has been really rewarding. I used to play very cautiously when I was platforming. I did this with Celeste as well initially, was that sort of like, you know, jump at an enemy, stop at a platform, rethink my moves, and then go on and whatnot. But I found the easiest way to actually clear most of the challenges here were just to keep momentum going. Always be jumping, swinging, throwing. That was sort of my my MO when I was playing this game. And it's worked to some, some extent. I have died quite a few times uh, in some levels with moving platforms. I found the minecart level when I first initial, when I first initially encountered sort of those sorts of levels and stage in, in area one inordinately difficult for some unknown reason. Just stuff like that. I mean, I've never felt frustrated actually dying or ending the game in Donkey Kong. And I haven't played the original, so I don't know if it's been scaled down or scaled up or whatever. I haven't got that experience to it. But I think the difficulty curve is just about right for me. It's not frustrating. It's I feel rewarded when I actually move on. And I think that there's a lot more variety in the levels than I expected. I knew it was an old game, so I thought, you know, it's going to probably A look a little bit dated, B, feel a bit dated, C, can't look that great, but it actually looks pretty good. I know the Wii isn't really an old console for most people out there, but it definitely feels like a game that that can stand toe-to-toe, I think, with some of the more recent platformers that we've seen. I think that it's got lots of elements to it, which I think um, Andy has already identified, that remind me of the old Rayman games, like I said before, and also that it's got extra elements in it, which... I guess some more some other child friendly or child targeted platformers might not have. So Kirby, for example, which was a dream, you know, incredibly beautiful, incredibly adorable, and just great to play. Kirby lacked pretty much any and all challenge, which was fine. I still played it. I loved that little pink blob to death, but it definitely didn't quite feel the same clearing a Kirby level I felt you know oh that's really nice really content you know hanging out with my mates you know the power of friendship kind of stuff Donkey Kong Country Tropical Freeze was like a whole different ballgame I felt really amped after I cleared a level you know I was like yeah like I did this you know I me and my mates like it was just like a whole different feeling and I think the difficulty level contributes to that and also that there are a lot of hidden areas that reminded me a little bit of actually how things were hidden in Super Mario Odyssey like, if there was, like, a platform sticking out somewhere near the top of the level, you know, you jump to it and automatically see there's a hidden area. You know, if there was, like, a sequence of difficult terrain for you to cross that looked kind of out of place or, like, a vine hanging from somewhere, take the chance, grab it, swing on it, pull it down, anything, because there are all of these hidden areas that you can you can reach by stomping on things, slapping things, throwing barrels at things, just kind of pulling up stuff out of the ground as well that just are really rewarding to find 
And often I find these on my second or third go through the actual level, but every time I found one, I thought, you know, nice, like that's an accomplishment to me. And it, something about the game training to look for these objectives, I think, by hiding them so well is, is really engaging. And Kirby was fun, but there were never any of these secret things to find in Kirby levels, really. I mean, the puzzle pieces were easy to find, and the giant red switch almost guaranteed that you'd find it because they signpost everything so obviously. But there are much more of these sort of secret hidden areas and items in Donkey Kong that I really appreciate. They kind of call back to the platformers, I think, of a slightly older time, or at least older for me. So yeah, I mean, even though I'd never experienced it before, it was 100% my jam, and I know the price point is very steep, I'm 100% aware of that. And obviously May is full of great games, which we are going to struggle to find the funds for. But if you've never played it before, and you consider yourself a platforming fan, then you may really want to consider shelling out for this one. If you don't have it on the Wii U, or you can't get it on the Wii U eShop, because I think some regions have had it put back on. Um, correct me if I'm wrong about this, but I do believe that some regions have had it put back on. So if you're one of those regions, and you're not entirely fussed about experiencing it on the Switch, I still think it's a really great game. I don't really know what's changed between the two versions, but if they seem particularly consistent with one another, then I think I've enjoyed my time on the Switch one. I think you'll enjoy your time on the Switch one or the Wii U one if that's the one that you want to go with. Ready? Go! Okay, it's that time again for our Super Smash Bros. for Nintendo Switch predictions. Uh, what was your prediction, Andrew? Uh, there's going to be a level based on Nintendo Labo. I love this one. Yeah, I think it'll be like uh, one of the WarioWare levels from the 3DS or the uh, Wii U versions of Smash 4. I think it'll work a lot similarly to that. Yeah, I can envision like maybe them using the, the software in the background, uh-huh. like showing how it's being put together and then maybe the actual level being put together while you're fighting. Or like, uh, you know how the uh, Wii Fit Trainers level actually incorporated clips from the Wii Fit video instructions into the level? Yeah. Wouldn't it be cool, Wouldn't it be cool if they put those in the background of the level while the whatever the next stage is, is being constructed and then like suddenly you're yeah. fighting on the piano or something? That would be awesome. Yeah, I can, I can see that happening. Yeah. Or you're fighting on the piano and then the uh, the glove is trying to play it <laughs> while you're fighting. <laughs> it would be nice to see Master Hand incorporated into versus mode somehow. Yeah, it'd be really cool. Um, mine is a boring prediction, which wasn't you know last minute at all, but uh, uh-huh. Funky Kong in in some way, uh, topical or tropical. <laughs> um, he. Uh, he might be a skin for Donkey Kong, maybe, or uh, just a way for players to play the the single player stuff easily and quickly. Mm. I don't know. I, had, I hadn't really got that far in my thought process, <laughs> but I reckon mainly as a, a Donkey Kong skin, possibly. Yeah, we've talked about that before. How we hope there's a more diverse set of skins rather than just you know color palette swaps for the characters. That would be cool. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, like uh, the uh, Bowser Jr. had all of the Koopa Kids as alternate skins in Smash 4. I mean, expand on that with the rest of the characters. You have all these things to work with. Uh, it would be cool to see greatly expanded character options, even if it's just new models for existing characters. Yeah, definitely. Cool. Well, let's hear Ginny's prediction. My Super Smash Brothers for Switch prediction is that we are going to have um, some magic-wielding Fire Emblem characters. So I know that I've been hopping on already about Fire Emblem characters and how they're going to change or who they're going to keep in the roster. And I discussed this previously in another one on predictions, but I think that we're going to go down the Dissidia route and have a little bit more variety in which champions get picked so i mean most of the time we've got we've got robin who's not a traditional sword user but everyone else in the roster like good old martha and ike for example all sword users i think that we'll see a magic user 
like Robin with a much more flamboyant style, or maybe one of the ninjas like Kagero, or maybe even someone of the more popular ones from the new series. Like what about a wyvern rider like Camilla, for example, or one of her dragon knights? I think that it's possible animation-wise, and it bring a lot of flavor because you know special attacks. And also those characters that are from the newer Fire Emblem games that do have these more diverse weapon types, they're also much more prevalent in the more recent Fire Emblem media, like Fire Emblem Warriors, for example. So the word is out there. I mean, these are characters the fans really enjoy. I think Lynn, Camilla, uh, maybe even Cordelia, a Pegasus rider. Like, some of the fan favorite Fire Emblem heroes, for example, that aren't just, quote-unquote, the dude squad. I think it'll be a really good chance to actually have them in there and to include weapon variety and attack variety because as much as I love slash hate math, um, I think the time has come for someone else to shine. Okay, Just on the, the Smash Brothers thing, I just wanted to check something. I think we're all in agreement this is a new game now, aren't we? Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, I, I was of the two minds about this before uh, where even if it is just a port of Smash 4, if it's just Super Smash Brothers for Nintendo Switch and it has all the modes and everything in it, you know, they're going to lose licenses for some characters. It's just it's just a thing that happens with all the time that's passed in Smash 4 and with roster updates and character balances. Whether it was a true sequel or not, it was going to be basically a whole new game. So at this point, it's there's no doubt that it's going to be a sequel not just a port yeah just when it was announced there was the big debate people on different sides of the fence but i think the people who thought it was just going to be a port with some you know breath of the wild stuff it, those views have sort of faded now i think we're all expecting a, a new game i think it's going to be built on the same engine maybe obviously yeah. um but... I, I don't think they're going to build everything from the ground up but i think for all intents and purposes in terms of content it's certainly going to be a new smash yeah, I'm just wondering what they're going to bring back. Like uh like Smash Tour that can go away. I don't I don't care about Smash Tour at all. But like uh the Master Orders, that mode was awesome. I would love to see Master Orders come back. Yeah, that was one of those things I never played the single player stuff on that. I just oh. kept playing one-on-one online because <laughs> that's my that's my fighting game. Fighting game style, so well, Master Orders was uh, you would go and you would talk to Master Hand on a menu and he would give you random challenges to do, which really helped to add a lot of variety to playing the game solo. Yeah, I was sort of hoping for something like, I know I never really put much time into it, but the Hyrule Warriors adventure mode. Yeah, something like that would be so- cool. Something something really creative. Like a progression system, so just something, maybe like a, instead of like a map of a game, it's like a screen from loads of classic games or you know just something like that just uh keep progression ticking along mm-hmm. so andrew what are you playing in this week uh well i hadn't put in the show notes donkey kong probably but i uh ended up finishing donkey kong today <laughs> i i'm gonna keep picking at it uh i i have gone back and started finding all the puzzle pieces and the kong icons i've missed i don't know if i'm gonna do time trial because i'm just i'm just really struggling to get those gold medals on time trial i don't want to do it if i'm just gonna get silvers i want to go for golds or i don't want to do it at all uh, and that'll probably round out most of the week for me. But then on the 10th, there's another roguelite coming out. And you know me, I love my roguelites. <laughs> it's called Immortal Redneck. Uh, it's about a redneck who goes to Egypt on vacation and wakes up in a coffin. And he's suddenly been turned into a mummy. And he has to go through all of the pyramids of Egypt and try to figure out why he's been cursed this way and the cool thing about this game is uh compared to all the other roguelites on the switch right now is it's actually a first person shooter and it actually looks like it might be pretty cool so uh, i'm interested to play a proc gen first person shooter i don't think i've ever played one before okay that sounds really interesting that wasn't on my radar first i've heard of it actually yeah, uh, Death Row to Canada is also out too. I was going to play that at the end of April, but uh, the release date got pushed back after uh, an incident in Canada involving uh, a van and hitting some uh, pedestrians, which you've probably heard about mm-hmm. that, and this is not the place to go into it. But uh, I'm, I'm interested in playing that too. Yeah, so for me, I'm just going to continue with Donkey Kong. Not much else really, because I'm trying to restrict my purchases to big titles now. 
just mm-hmm. while I clear up the indie backlog as well. Um, that said, Death Road to Canada looks really, really awesome. Is it my my mistake? It seems to have sort of Oregon Trail elements, as well as uh, like the shootery roguelike things. I I've heard it described as Oregon Trail with zombies, which actually you know there's already a game like that that's called the Oregon yeah. Trail. But you know which there is can really be really good. There can be more than one uh, game like that's that concept. So <laughs> yeah, it it looks really cool though. I'm I'm I, I am very interested. Uh, also, uh, Lightfall still looks really interesting to me uh, off the back of Celeste as a one of those like really difficult but quick starting uh, platformers. I probably wouldn't have bothered, but just because I really enjoyed Celeste so much, I, I want to have a look at that, even though it might not have that same level of storytelling or, or, or drive to keep me playing. But yeah, that's one I've got my eye on. So yeah, this week I'll probably be playing more Donkey Kong because I do actually want to see if I can finish it. I don't think I'll be able to 100% complete all the levels in terms of co- in terms of collectibles, but I really want to give it a good go. And of course, I'll be playing Yonder, which is an adorable, adorable Nintendo Switch game. Um, I've already played it on the PC, but it's basically about like, it's kind of like a Harvest Moon slash Animal Crossing game with sort of heavy RPG narrative elements. So if that sounds like your thing, I've definitely played it before on the PC, and it, it's the kind of game that I would love to have with me on the go, you know, raising my cute buffalo, looking for cats, and if it sounds like it's up your alley, I recommend you check it out as well, because it is incredibly adorable and very time-consuming. Now that I've got lost fear out of the way, I can pretty much play anything that I want, so I will keep you guys updated. Um, and yeah, that's pretty much it, unless they spring a surprise uh banner saga one and two release or Oof. wasteland two that's they're, they're going to be the only things that would tempt me to purchase something i think yeah there's already too much coming out in may i live in dread of those last minute announcements that the switch loves to do so much <laughs> every yeah. day there's something announced for may every mm-hmm. single day it is- yeah it's like stop releasing games in may we can't play them all we're not gonna buy them all you are really messing with your sales <laughs> yeah just a couple of months later like they'll sell yeah yeah. Just, yeah and this is where i i think some of the indie bubble might might burst because people are just rushing stuff out at the same time and there's no way people can play everything yeah I, I, here's a conspiracy theory is dark souls got pushed back not because they can't get it running but because there's too much coming out on the switch in may <laughs> <laughs> i think that would be a fair shout to be honest Thanks for listening to this episode of Switch Focus Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review on iTunes. It really helps us to get noticed. You can also listen and subscribe on Stitcher, TuneIn, and other podcast services. Why not also check out our YouTube channel, where we regularly upload the first hour of many of the games we play. Uh, Andrew here is uh, streaming most of the games that we talk about on the show, and you can find him at twitch.tv forward slash playcritically. Follow us on Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, and at Switch Focus Podcast for updates, news, and other content. If you like the show and want to support us, you can now buy us a coffee. The details are on our website. Thanks in advance. If you want to follow the three of us individually on Twitter, you can do. I'm at Flame Roast Toast. Andrew is at Play Critically. And Ginny is at Ginny Woes. Yeah.